I think Macron believes in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, but not Asia Treaty Organization. This is no different than a colonial power at the height of colonial exploration by European powers planting their flag in some other country and saying, that's mine. The French government, the French people, they do have a very, I think, international views mm. on any kind of uh, affairs. They understand the very, very deep difference between Asia and Europe. The unequivocal answer is that they would not succeed, no, I think there will be a fierce backlash and they would realise that it's you know, the sort of cost-benefit analysis that is very, very negative. So I think they will perhaps come to their senses and realise that it's a North Atlantic thing that was set up a long time ago, the world has changed, and that a complete rethink is needed, you know, complete open-mindedness into how we go forward and post-NATO world. I don't think they'll try anything like this again. The Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Welcome to The Chat Lounge. I'm Tuyin, joining our discussion on whether French President Emmanuel Macron can stop NATO's reach into Asia are Harvey Zoden, Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization. Mike Bastin, China Observer and Senior Lecturer at the University of Southampton in the UK. And Dr. Tsui Hongjian, Head of European Studies Department, China Institute of International Studies. Great to have you all on the show, gentlemen. So, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization's plan to set up its first Asia Liaison Office in Japan has been held up after French President Emmanuel Macron once again explicitly expressed his objection. Macron insists the transatlantic security alliance should stay focused on its own North Atlantic region. So can he stop the NATO plan? Is he the Sisyphus of Europe? Let's start with the background of the development. It's not the first time Macron has clarified his stance. He made it clear, at least in 2020 and last month, at two separate NATO conferences. And prior to and after this summit in Lithuania, he informed NATO chief Jens Stoltenberg of his opposition to the alliance's plan, stressing, quote-unquote, the Indo-Pacific is not the North Atlantic, so we must not give the impression that NATO is somehow building legitimacy and geographically established presence in other areas. It seems Macron is quite consistent with his opposition stance, something not commonly seen nowadays from uh, European leaders under immense pressure from the U.S., right? I'm going to begin with um, Dr. Tsui. Are you, to any extent, surprised? Indeed, I'm not so uh, surprised uh, with the uh, also, you know, the attitude from the uh, French government and also President Macron mm. on this issue. As we know, always the French government tried to, uh, you know, insist uh, its uh, a tradition of uh, so-called independent policy, especially on foreign uh, policy, foreign affairs. And of course, a little bit of surprise with this um, way of uh, so uh, frankly so uh, directed uh, by President Macron. Once he um, made clear his uh, uh, stand, there will be some um, perhaps some prize for France to 
uh, have its uh, influence and pollution uh, within the NATO mm-hmm. and also within the European Union and, uh, of course, within the G7. As we know, another stakeholder is uh, Japan. Japan now is um, a member of the G7 mm-hmm. and uh, recently Japan is trying to play a more important even though in the G7. And, of course, as we know, recent years, France is also trying to uh, get a closer cooperation with Japan, not only in economic and trade and also on some uh, you know, uh, military and uh, security areas. But of course, I think that uh, there must be some uh, real reason or consideration behind this uh, attitude from uh, President Macron and the uh, French government. Mm. Then by your estimate, what could be the reason behind Me? your analysis? Yeah, Dr. Tsui. Okay. So firstly, I think that the uh, it's a very, very natural outcome from this uh, so-called uh, strategic autonomy, uh, always upheld by the uh, French government and the President Macron. Because I think the very, very simple logic for President Macron is once Europe and France try to have a kind of uh, strategic autonomy, certainly the Europe and uh, France should have its own stand, its own position mm. on any kind of uh, international affairs, especially on so important affairs is so-called uh, expanding or ex- expansion of the uh, NATO. As we know, uh, once there is some more so-called presence of NATO in Asia and the Pacific region, uh, there will be some more risk for uh, most of the European countries because they have to be involved into some uh, unnecessary troubles. Mm-hmm. I think that's a very, very cool uh, logic for President Macron. He uh, even raised this issue before, especially after he uh, finished the visit to China. Another, I think, very uh, important mindset for uh, President Macron is uh, once there are some uh, problem, or especially the security issue in Asia and the Pacific, I think certainly because of the principle of ownership, the Asia countries, the regional countries, including China, including Japan, including uh, Korea, they should have their own capability to so what's the role or what's the position of NATO on any kind of a potential security problem or security risk in Asia and the Pacific and uh, as we know that the French government the French people they do have a very I think international views mm. on any kind of uh, affairs they understand the very very deep difference between Asia and Europe Right. Harvey and Mike, you both are in Europe. Um, From your perspective, why does the French president seem so resolute in opposing NATO's plan? Shall we start with um, Harvey? Well, sure. And first, let me say uh, bon fête Bastille. (laughs) What Uh, does that mean? It's uh, the national day of France. Right. So it's appropriate to have this discussion on this day. I think it's important to Macron and to France because France has a long history of uh, strategic autonomy from its uh, European neighbors and now from uh, its uh, EU member states. And you have to remember that back in the 1950s and 60s, President Charles de Gaulle gave NATO conniption fits Mm -hmm. uh, because uh, he pulled out of uh, several of the active forces and he threatened to pull out of NATO altogether. France has always taken this, uh, say, uh, independent 
position. And I think Macron is just the latest uh, French leader to do so. I think Macron believes in the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, but not Asia Treaty Organization, because it's very important for Europe. In fact, Europe, uh, like France and Germany, were historical, perpetual enemies for so long, believes in this concept of NATO that's uh, helped guarantee the peace for many, many years. But if you look at the NATO treaty, especially Articles 5 and Article 6, this is about North America. Mm. Uh, This is about Europe. It's not at all about Asia. And I think that this uh, office in Tokyo that's now on hold or maybe hopefully killed, because it's not only France that opposes it, several other unnamed member states are all NATO members are also against it. Uh, This is no different than a colonial power at the height of, uh, you know, colonial exploration by European powers planting their flag in some other country and saying, that's mine. Mm. This is my territory. And I think the office in Japan, well, they said it's just a communications office and uh, it's not going to be strategic or anything. It sends a terrible message. And what the message it sends is that uh, Asia is in play that we're going uh, beyond the treaty and uh, that these countries are basically America's lapdogs and following America's leads, especially uh, in light of the treaty and the clear words of it. So I think we owe President Macron and France the great debt of gratitude for taking this uh, strong position. And let's hope that since this issue isn't yet dead, that uh, he'll be able to prevail. He's hopefully in office uh, until 2027. Right. You said it's about uh, North America, about uh, Europe. When voicing his concerns about NATO losing focus, what do you think Macron is most worried about? Is he worried that um, NATO's resources will be scattered and the organization may be unable to truly perform its responsibility to maintain the security of the North Atlantic region when needed? Or is there anything else he's more concerned about? I I think he is concerned about the things that Tuyun mentioned. But I think beyond that, he's concerned about the global uh, model. And that global model is that uh, countries have autonomy, they can make their own uh, decisions. And it's not only about the money that will be maybe too thinly spread uh, out of Europe or North America, it's about the fact that the U.S. is trying to pick a fight with China and trying to coerce or at least cajole its neighbors into becoming China's enemies. And I think that President Macron and all his actions point to it are that he does not want to see that kind of division in the world, that we have enough problems, that we have to try to work together, that China is such an important uh, economic and political actor now, that if we erect this uh, high fence and huge yard that the Americans want to do, that it could be game over for our planet when we have so many existential challenges. Yeah, indeed. And uh, Mike, as an Englishman, you know, the the long-standing foe and friend of uh, France, what's your take (laughs) on this issue? I'm not so sure that that descriptions, um, I think there are are always tensions between 
the English and the French. Uh, but the, the, there is a the, the, there is a, a bomb there in the heart of Europe to a certain extent as well. I, I think you know I, I echo what the, the other panelists have said. I think I, there's two points I would add. First of all, I think there are short-term economic considerations here. So I think Macron held a very public visit, didn't he, not so long ago to Beijing, and I think he fears tensions and maybe some sort of fractured trade relationships and arrangements if this office went ahead. And I think looking at Stoltenberg's summing up of the the, the, the summit, it looks as though it's certainly been shelled for now mm. and there was no public comment. So, so I think he's, he's looking at economic um, considerations with Asia and obviously the French government stands again and the economy stands again there. I think that's something, uh, some logic behind his stance. I also think we need to make a point that it's not just looking at, at Macron, it's looking at the position of Japan and, and how Japan sees itself in the world. Mm. You know, the Japanese government does not see itself as part of Asia with Asian neighbours and then the need to build alliances across Asia. Uh, they very much see themselves separate and different, and I think that's a, still a big, big worry. Uh, and I'm sure that they've they've had something to do with this certainly this idea, if you like, of floating this idea of some sort of office in Tokyo, which is hugely provocative and very, very negative. So I think Macron is also looking at economic, uh, uh, the, the economics of this and, and, and better, stronger trading relationships with Asia. Mm. We'll come to uh, Japan's response uh, later in the show. But uh, Mike, you just mentioned uh, um, Macron's uh, China visit in April. So given what he said and did after visiting China he is accused by many in the West of kowtowing to China. What's your evaluation of such a comment? I wouldn't use that phrase at all, no. I think he, he's, um, he's very much realizing that, that, that Asia is the future, uh, if, if not the present, that the Asian economies, China in particular, uh, are stronger and stronger. Such a huge market now, not just for production, but for consumption. Uh, in my area, luxury and luxury fashion, predicted to be about 40% of luxury consumers will be Chinese very, very soon. It's a very high percentage now. So, so no, I don't. I think he, he, it's made a very sensible decision to build relationships, build trust, and then to get to know better, to, to really create some sort of economic bond there. So I wouldn't use the word kowtowing at all. And I think he should be applauded and commended and other European nations should be following suit. There seems to be, and this is very much coming out of NATO and Stoltenberg in particular, there seems to be this fear uh, and this threat where Asia is concerned, where really the opposite is the case. It's an opportunity, a very, very important opportunity. And, and really Macron was just seizing seizing that. I think it also has something to do with his political background. I mean, this is a new party. He renamed it again recently in September last year. It's the Renaissance Party. So he's looking for some identity for himself and for this party, which doesn't have any historical you know, political roots. I think that's also why he's being a little bit outspoken. You're listening to The Chat Lounge. We'll be back after the break. Once upon a time, in a land not so very far away. Stories were told of the brave and the bold. The whole court fell silent to hear what the great warrior Mulan might ask for. Of mighty deities and powerful immortals. Immediately, the shimmering skin started to grow before his eyes. Of fated love and love sanctified. In dawn's golden light, Niu Lang said, 
Marry Me. Of great journeys across fantastical landscapes. So the cat and the mouse climbed on the dog's back and the dog swam across the broad river. In the company of friends and enemies and unimagined beasts. Yeah, <laughs> good to see you. Of ordinary folk with tantalizing stories to tell. Heroes and heroines all. It's incredible. How did you do that? Tales of sad sacrifice and victories snatched from the jaws of defeat. Stories of the wise, the accomplished and the quick of mind. 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3 wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. Welcome back. We continue our discussion on whether French President Emmanuel Macron can stop NATO's reach into Asia. Let's move on to uh, the reactions from uh, related parties. First of all, is the reaction from Japan. Well, the Japanese government has expressed its deep disappointment over Macron's stance. Some Japanese observers say Macron overreacted to the NATO plan. So, Mike, do you believe so? I don't, I don't think he overreacted. I, I think he... He, he got it right. I think, it, and then it's disappointing that, that, as one of the panelists said, there are other unnamed countries and political leaders who are in agreement, but but they really should come forward. So I, I think he, he should be applauded for doing that. I don't think he overreacted. I think it really is something that yeah, is very, very, very negative. It's usually provocative and, and really, really not necessary. And as the, the French quite rightly say, you know, this is a North Atlantic agreement, North Atlantic group you know what are they doing plonking a flag or plonking a, a foot in asia it, it, that really needs to be thought through asian partners brought on board and, and wide discussion with asian partners which didn't happen so, so that, that means overreacted and, mm-hmm. and i think he really has caught them on the hop so to speak and, and really made it very very clear that this has been ill thought out as well not really thought through so no he got it right mm. right um dr Sui. What's your opinion from the Chinese perspective? How do you think this may affect the relations between, you know, the two G7 countries? I think, firstly, uh, this uh, express of the so-called deep uh, dis- disappointment from Japan on this uh, you know, action taken by French government. I think it's also, uh, it's itself a kind of overreaction from Japan. All right. Because, you know, once it's a good thing, not only for Japan and also for Asia and the Pacific security. So uh, it's uh, so necessary for NATO to have this kind of uh, representative or institution in Japan. As I understand it, uh, once there are some uh, uh, you know, security issues, uh, even between China and Japan, why don't Japan to strengthen its uh, uh, you know, exchange and a dialogue with China? Mm-hmm. So what will happen once there is a uh, institution in Japan from uh, NATO, uh, which means that uh, very clear and a, a kind of a strong intervention from outside into the regional security issue. So I think this uh, reaction from uh, Japan, I think a little bit of disappointment for China, because also, you know, for the Asia security issue, I think China, Japan, and some other uh, countries, once they are responsible, they should do something more and should not have some more higher expectation from outside, from America and from NATO. Of course, regarding uh, possible impact on the relations between France and Japan, 
maybe it's a kind of a more complex issue. As I mentioned before, that uh, recent years, not only France, but some other European countries, they are trying to uh, strengthen their relations with regional countries besides China, including Japan, Korea, Australia, and some other. I think it shows uh, a kind of a consideration from uh, European countries. They try to have some more balanced relations with uh, Asian Pacific uh, countries. Because, as we understand, they do have some suspicion about the uh, possible uh, change of the uh, not only the security you know, situation and also some uh, economic uh, situation in this region. So, of course, I think on this moment, because of the uh, French uh, attitude, mm. uh, it gives maybe some uh, difficulty for uh, relations uh, between those two countries. But for the time being, I think the, uh, they are trying to find uh, some solution for this issue. And also, I think that uh, for French government, they also try to find a kind of a selective sectors to have some more cooperation with Japan. But finally, I want to mention that it's not a kind of a confrontation issue. I mean, it's even in the security area. Once there are some problems, just like uh, Japan, some other regional countries worry about uh, in this region, I think firstly, China and some other regional countries, they are good partners to deal with it. And uh, once there are some more uh, you know, dialogue with uh, European countries, including France, Germany, and even Britain, I think it should be open. It should be in the uh, frame of the uh, multilateral cooperation. It should be, I mean, uh, transparent. Mm. So I don't think it's a, a solution or it's a good idea for Japan and other regional countries to introduce some uh, force from outside. Mm. I think the only outcomes once they uh, try to get some more cooperation with other countries out of this region, it will give a bad situation, I think, for this uh, security issue in this region. You said it's not a, the right solution, um, but uh, NATO obviously has chosen this path. And uh, we've seen Stoltenberg actually saying um, Japan, I don't remember his exact uh, original words, but he meant that um, Japan is the most important partner of NATO in this area. Was uh, Stoltenberg trying to console Japan to any extent? What do you think the message yeah, to is? Some, yeah, to some degree, I think this uh, closer and closer relations between NATO and uh, Japan, uh, it's a showcase or it's a reflection of these, uh, uh, you know, the recent relations uh, between Japan and the United States. If we uh, realize that so far, still, the United States uh, take a dominate mm-hmm. role within the NATO, and the United States is trying to practice its uh, uh, so-called strategy towards China. Certainly, we can find out in recent years, Japan and the United States, they are strengthening their cooperation, especially in the area of uh, military and uh, security. So certainly, I think that uh, from the purpose of the United States, to find some uh, maybe a new synergy or kind of a chemical uh, action, reactions between its uh, uh, you know allies in Asia and its uh, allies in Europe, it would be in the interests of uh, the United States. So regarding to this uh, uh, Secretary Stoltenberg's, uh, uh, I mean, uh, sentence, I think yes, it uh, from uh, NATO and also from the United States always. They are trying to encourage 
Japan to do something more, because from their understanding that once they are once they are stronger and even powerful, uh, more powerful Japan in Asia and the Pacific, certainly they will give some more maybe yeah. a containment functions mm. towards China. Mm. So a kind of so called balance, tactical balance, I think certainly is a. Uh, I think, I think yeah. it's, a, it's yeah. a kind of a, a solution or it's kind of a skill from NATO and the United States. Right. Mike, you were saying? Yeah, I, I just think, we, just to add to it, I think we need to make a point that the that the Americans are noticeably quite quiet here, which, which I find a little bit concerning. And when we look at these post-Second World War institutions and agreements, so obviously the IMF, the World Bank, NATO itself... They were very, very much set up and led by the Americans and are still very much dominated by the Americans. In fact, I'm pretty sure, sorry, I've nothing personal. If you ask most Americans what NATO stands for, they won't say North Atlantic, they'll say North America. Uh, so I, I think I think the Americans, to a certain extent, are pulling the strings here. And, and I think they, they are quietly pushing this pushing this along via Stoltenberg, who, who really has made some, some outrageous comments. Uh, about Russia, Ukraine, and China, that really, uh, I, I think clearly that this person is unfit for this job. He really shouldn't be in that position. So, so, so I think the, the Americans are a sort of silent sleeping partner in this, and, and I think that has to be noted. Mm, but uh, I think we have to make the distinction between uh, silence, public silence, and private silence. Sure. You know. I would have liked to have heard President Biden's uh, reaction to this. There were stories this last week about what a horrendous temper Biden has. And I can imagine when he thinks about uh, Macron's position that he must really get uh, quite angry. So even though there's a public silence, we can imagine that, that in private there's this boiling tension between U.S. and France. And the U.S. is not going to be shy about pushing Macron and the other countries that think the Japanese uh, NATO office is a bad thing. So I'm sure they're working their phones and things right now to try to push these countries into falling into line. Because basically, these countries as I said before, just serve as America's lapdogs. They don't exercise as much autonomy as they should. And my, my hope, my personal hope, actually, not only for NATO, but also for Europe, is they do exercise uh, strategic autonomy, although they're bound together in many ways. And you have to give France a lot of credit for being the leading country that's uh, uh, taking this position, but also taking the heat. Because in the future... The EU especially can be the balance, the fulcrum between China and the U.S. to try to provide a degree of balance between the still fighting uh, mm. countries. So I'm, I'm very happy that President Macron did this and did it in the way that he did. Mm. Hardy, yes, you're... I, yes, I really echo with these uh, points from mm. my European friends. As we understand, now not only for uh, President Macron and also for Chancellor uh, Schultz, uh, more and more European leaders, they do have a mindset for this so-called uh, multipolar war. So what will happen for the forthcoming multipolar war? Which means that uh, not only France and also Europe, they do have their own understanding of the worldview, they do have their own position on any kind of uh, international affairs, especially mm-hmm. in a situation of, uh, you know, more and more uh, tension between so-called the uh, bigger powers gaming like that. Mm-hmm. So I think at, at this moment, once there will be some more 
we call the presence of the uh, NATO in Asia. And uh, once they are, once they are more, I mean, uh, follow from uh, NATO uh, of the uh, American strategy against China. So, what will happen for this uh, multipolar world? There will be more and more risks for European side uh, trapped into this so-called, as we know, the, the, the trap of the uh, bigger power gaming. So, I think once there are some uh, clear, uh, you know, mindset, once there is a code. Uh, understanding about the uh, possible situation, I think uh, France and some other European countries, they should have their own rational and uh, right decision. Right, but a multipolar world is not something that uh, Washington is seeking. Harvey, you just said uh, it seems very quiet um, on the face, but there could be something ongoing under the table. So could there be any storm brewing and what could it be? Yeah, well, I think there could be some storm uh, brewing because the United States uh, for the last 70 years or so has been used to getting its way and uh, taking the position with its allies that they should fall in line and to use uh, uh, the second George Bush's term, my way or the highway. And so I'm sure the U.S. is going to push uh, on this because they don't like being contradicted. And they do see this as a battle between so-called democracies and autocracies, Mm -hmm. which it isn't really. So I'm sure behind the scenes, the U.S. is pushing France very hard and exercising all the levers that they have to have uh, France fall into line. And one of the reasons that they might be doing that is that uh, President Macron is term limited. So he has to leave by 2027. Mm -hmm. So he only has at most a few more years left. And the most likely person to take his place is Marine Le Pen, if all things were being equal, if the election were held uh, today. And uh, she has a much different position on NATO. She doesn't like it. Uh, Like President de Gaulle, she's thinking about uh, uh, pulling out if she doesn't get her way. Mm -hmm. And another factor is she's very friendly with President Putin. So I think it's all the more reason to try to get Macron to fall into line now so it'd be harder for his uh, successor, whoever that might be, to deviate from uh, the U.S. uh, policy and the U.S. desires. Mm. And you said Macron is. Can I just add that on Macron's position? Yes, his stint at the the, the Elysee ends in 2027, and he is prohibited from, according to the Constitution, from running after two consecutive terms. But he could come back in 2032. So I think he's also looking, because he's relatively young in political terms, also looking longer term and trying to create his own identity Mm. for some sort of revival after one term of, let's say, it is Marine Le Pen. So so I think he's looking at his longer-term career path as well. So from what Mike and uh, Harvey just said, does that mean this issue wouldn't be utilized by the opposition to, you know, to launch something like a no-confidence vote against the French president? Mike, please. I I think it's possible. I think it's a very good point that that Harvey made about about Le Pen and the the far right, which does still carry quite worryingly, um, a, a lot of popular support and their arguments, their very simplistic, um, unrealistic arguments resonate with the French people. So, so yes, I think they, they could, that, that could happen. Uh, but, but even more worryingly would be the, uh, the election of the far right uh, and, and how destabilizing that would be 
when it comes to integration and, and obviously attitudes towards NATO, a bit, bit Trump-like really, that it really shouldn't be there, is outdated, they don't really want to be members anymore. So, so I think that is a concern. And, and I think that's still a concern across Europe, not just in France, but the, 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 the growth of the, of the far right in the UK. We also see uh, that the current government are really quite different to, to most centre-right parties or, or, or conservative party governments considering that we've seen before. So, yes, a very legitimate concern. Mm. Uh, Harvey, you agree? Uh, yeah, I definitely uh, I agree with that. And there's a lot of elements uh, in play, a lot of moving parts uh, as time goes by. We'll just have to see. It's very hard to uh, predict in the final analysis uh, what's going to happen. But we can be assured that the Americans are going to push uh, the French as hard as they can, uh, no matter who's in office, to try to adhere to the position uh, that America takes. And I think even America has to admit uh, that Macron, even if he leaves office and comes back, uh, is a much more balanced person than somebody from the far right would be. Mm. And we'll explore further other possible results uh, in a, a few minutes. But another reaction from... Um former Australian Prime Minister Paul Keating. Harvey, you mentioned Macron should be given credit for stating his uh, opposition to a NATO office in Japan. And Paul Keating also praised Macron for warning NATO away from any expansion into Asia. In the statement made on NATO's provocative lurch eastward, Keating also called NATO's chief a supreme fool. Um, Keating said Asia's promise after its recent development quote, would be compromised by having anything to do with the militarism of Europe and militarism egged on by the United States, unquote. So, um, Dr. Tse, what are the chances that Keating's statement may serve as a wake-up call to other countries in the region, such as um, Australia, New Zealand, and South Korea, which are not NATO members, but were invited to the summit, I think, for at least twice, right? I think that uh, once we need to understand what's the real situation in Asia and mm. how about the attitude from uh, most of the regional countries towards uh, NATO, I think we need to hear something more, not only from some uh, few politicians or officials from Japan, right. but also we need to hear some more voices from uh, regional countries or some, uh, I mean, rational politicians like uh, Mr. Katin. As I understand that uh, now, most of the uh, regional country, including ASEAN countries, including uh, most of the neighbors uh, of China and some other countries, they do have a very clear attitude towards so-called expansion of NATO into Asia. Mm. We are different, indeed. As we understand, uh, even after the end of uh, World War II, if we take a comparison between Asia and Europe, certainly I think there, there has been a better situation even in the security issue. I think a little bit of a ridiculous thing is now NATO has to face the problem or crisis from the Ukrainian uh, crisis. And uh, how could NATO prove uh, it's uh, successful as a so-called military and security block? So I, I, I used to have a joke with some of uh, our European friends mm-hmm. that, as we know, uh, NATO is trying to develop a kind of uh, so-called constructive engagement with China. Mm. One of the uh, engagement is uh, NATO is trying to construct so-called China-NATO uh, council, very similar 
I mean, institution like uh, Russia, uh, NATO Council. So I asked them, you to have this uh, council, uh, you to have this uh, channel of dialogue or exchange with Russia. But now the problem is you lost the situation that you can get uh, maybe a kind of a bad relations with Russia. Now they are, you, the NATO is in a confrontation with NATO. So what will happen once you are in Asia, once, once NATO try to have this so-called uh, you know, the engagement with China, do not you worry about that the future of the Asia security will become similar uh, with the European situation today. So I think that it's not, I mean, simply Russia is to make so many security trouble uh, for European countries. So what's the responsibility of NATO itself? Mm-hmm. Once there is not the, uh, also, you know, the several rounds of the uh, enlargement of NATO, I don't believe that uh, Russia will decide, you know, to take some any kind of military operation. I think that now the same uh, risks will happen in Asia. Once NATO will go into uh, Asia uh, just uh, on the basis of the, its uh, relations with a few countries like Japan, they don't know what's the real situation, what's the real security concerns from uh, most of the regional countries. I think that uh, NATO will maybe copy the historic strategy, uh, just like uh, what happened in Europe. Mm. I hope they can hear what you just said, but I really doubt they would uh, listen, especially the NATO leadership, right, uh, Harvey? Do you think NATO leadership would listen to that? Or don't they actually know this? I think they are uh, well aware of the consequence, right? Yeah, I think they're very well aware of it. Uh, but they're being uh, pushed by a hawkish secretary general of NATO and also uh, being uh, pushed by a very hawkish United States. And one of the things we haven't discussed here is European uh, autonomy. The reason Europe can't be so autonomous here is there's no European army. So if there's a European army, it's kind of NATO. NATO is the shield uh, for Europe against uh, aggression. And it's not going to be easy for Europe to establish its own EU army. And maybe it'll never be able to establish it because it's so expensive. And the reason America has such huge deficits is that it's the world's policeman and wants to continue to be, whereas Europe has been coasting uh, along and they don't want to even contribute their 2% of GDP or contribute it uh, certainly unwillingly. So I think that is the big kind of invisible uh, monkey in the room because uh, NATO is Europe's army for the moment and it's funded mostly primarily by the US with its huge military budget. So Mm. EU probably would like to exercise more strategic autonomy like Macron wants but can't. But I do hope that, uh, yes, that uh, Europe learns the lesson uh, about the conflict with Russia. And when you project that onto Asia, you can see some possible very bad outcomes if uh, NATO were to, and I'd say illegally, get involved in Asian security matters. The Chat Lounge. The Chat Lounge unpacks views and opinions on hot issues in a more casual way. Then we move on to the possible outcome. Um, Harvey, you just said that um, Macron with NATO 
been um, under U.S. Uh, pressure or foot tied by Washington. Macron is very resolute in this regard, but is he able to block it every time it's brought up and uh, do so all by himself? Mike, please. Well, in theory, yes. I mean, the the if um, uh, this policy sort of comes to to fruition in some detail about opening an office in Tokyo, it has to have the unanimous support of NATO members. Go to NATO Council, and any one member uh, has the power of veto. So, so France under Macron could veto and scupper the deal. So, so in theory, he could, and, and the French or any other country, and there are others who are rumoured to be sympathetic to the French view as well to Macron's view, could do something similar. So, yes. Yeah, so, so while I agree, it is American dominated, American led, uh, and America supports it financially most definitely. The members do have that power of veto, and, and that's not changing. So, so, so yes, he could he could scupper the deal. I, I don't think it's going to get that far. So, you mean? I don't think this. I think the, the idea of opening an office in in Tokyo, um, I think, was just a deliberate attempt to, to gauge reaction, to, to sort of ruffle a few feathers and see how strong and resolute the the opposition could be, to see if they could really take it any further. And Macron, to his credit, has really stood up and made it clear that you know, you just do not put that back on the table and don't take it any further because it's not going to go any further. But but Stoltenberg so, uh, insisted after meeting the Japanese Prime Minister sure. that. Opening the liaison office remains on the table. Yeah, well, he, he had. I think he had to say that. I mean, I think there was a view that at this summit that they would take things much further, uh, and, and embarrassingly, they they didn't. So I think he felt he had to save face and say that. But but he hasn't really put any detail around that. And coming back to Stoltenberg's position again, I think that is becoming increasingly uh, weak and. Um, really sort of unjustifiable. I think Keating's comments were, were really very, very appropriate, rather direct, but, but I think he got it right. It looks as though they might extend his term again because of the, a lack of a replacement of Secretary General. But I, I think that was very much Stoltenberg's personal stamp on things. I don't think he's got much support at all. And I think he had to say something like that. But there's no detail. There's nothing about when they're going to look at it and what and how. And I think it was just a sort of saving face comment. Uh, Dr. Tse, what's your take here? Yes, I think now, uh, uh, from this regard, I think that uh, for these uh, relations between firstly uh, NATO and its uh, member states, and uh, also the uh, relations between the European Union and the NATO, also we understand that uh, even recently, both the uh, European Union and the NATO, they, do, they try to uh, find out the uh, maybe more cooperative relations, especially in the background of the Ukrainian crisis. But indeed, at the same time, I think for some uh, major member states of the European Union, like uh, France and Germany, they are still trying to uh, insist a kind of strategic autonomy. Regarding to some uh, details, regarding to some, for example, the military force or some, you know, divergences between those two organizations' uh, uh, strategies or so-called security goals or targets, I think it will keep uh, going on. But of course, I think that now the most important thing is for most of the European countries, they need to understand that uh, what's the uh, real interests for European countries. Even as we know now, uh, more and more European countries, they do have their own so-called Indo-Pacific strategy. But we can find out the major concerns or the main uh, goal for all of these uh, European countries is from economic trade. So I think that uh, it's understandable that uh, to find out uh, some uh, 
security solutions and to take some more uh, to give some more guarantee for uh, more economic cooperation. It it would be in the interest of European countries. But uh, once there is a imbalance between so-called economic uh, policy and the security concern, I think it will give a very very uh, bad uh, effect for most of the European countries. Mm. You're saying there should be a synergy among uh, European countries in this regard, but uh, so far we've only seen France, or more specifically President Macron, being vocal in opposing NATO's eastward creep. So are there any other NATO members on the same page with France? Certainly. Uh, even uh, earlier before uh, this, uh, uh, as we know, the NATO's uh, summit and uh, some uh, recent days, uh, especially during his visit to Beijing, uh, President Macron uh, expressed expressed its uh, own his own uh, uh, stance on especially how to uh, take a different position, uh, you know, uh, between the China and the United States and the potential uh, security risks. Uh, how could uh, how could the European side find out its own uh, real interests? Among this, uh, as we know, the big power gaming. Uh, I think not uh, not only President Macron and there are some other European leaders. They uh, take the similar line. Like that, oh, yes, including uh. including the President uh, Michel of the uh, European uh, Union Council, mm. and also some other, like uh, as we know, uh, the Spanish uh, Prime Minister or some other. So I don't think that. Uh, uh, you know, the President Macron has been isolated within the European uh, country. I think that uh, gradually, once there are more understanding about the real situation, the real interest uh, for Europe, for Europe itself, they will be more popular. I mean, for this uh, understanding about the multipolar world and uh, also the real uh, position uh, or right position of Europe should take. Mm. So, Harvey, do you think uh, President Macron is, um, obviously, according to what uh, Dr. Tsui said, Macron is not alone in actually trying to stop NATO from expanding further eastward? He's- oh, absolutely, absolutely, I agree. I just think that uh, President Macron uh, feels in a stronger position and ha- has this historic position of uh, France being uh, strategically independent often uh, compared to its even allies. Mm. So uh, I, he he's the front person for this. Uh, but uh, there's other countries, several other countries who object to this uh, movement, but maybe uh, they're letting France carry the water on this because they're too afraid of the United States or whatever. And as we've discussed before, um, it only takes one country to veto uh, a NATO proposal, and they're happy to have France do their dirty work, or not happy, but also afraid if they were to speak up. So I think there's more opposition to this Japan office and this uh, Asian focus than uh, just Macron. But he's he's the one whose thumb, uh, nail is sticking out uh, the most and uh, who the West is going to try to hammer down. But mm. there are others. Well, then w- would you call him, the you know, the Sisyphus of our age, like what uh, Edward Luce, the U.S. national editor and columnist at the Financial Times, once called him? 
No, not at all, because Sisyphus had to push this rock uh, up the mountain only to have it fall back down. Mm. And so he he did this in perpetuity. I don't think, uh, maybe to use a, a more modern analogy from a couple centuries ago, that he's tilting with uh, windmills like uh, Man of La Mancha. But I think that uh, he is expressing an important position. He has support, and I think he can build that support because in uh, the United States uh, pushing for this, uh, there's also uh, interests that Europe uh, has that are different. And uh, like Lord Palmerston said, there's no permanent friends and no permanent enemies, only permanent interests. And I see and I hope uh, that Europe and the NATO members that are predominantly European will see this and start to exercise some strategic autonomy. It's not only about NATO, it's about the EU. The EU is very new, but it's uh, feeling its strength and it's, uh, it's making adjustments to become a more efficient mm. and powerful organization. It's going to take time. But I'd be very surprised if over the next couple decades, Europe, Europe does not uh, uh, exercise strategic autonomy. I think it will because its interests diverge uh, from the U.S. It's already diverged. I mean, you take this chip ban. Mm -hmm. The Netherlands were uh, wanted to, not to be the lapdog of the United States on chip bans, but the U.S. obviously forced them into it and forced Japan into it as well. But I think there'll come a point when the EU and others say, enough, we have our own interests and they don't mesh with yours. And last question to you all. Actually, you've already touched upon it uh, a little bit in the show, but um, obviously um, some members of the North Atlantic um, Treaty Organization are still trying to push their agenda, their expansion agenda in Asia. Do you expect such attempt by NATO would succeed, you know, if uh, Macron or leaders like Macron step down or out of office? If NATO succeeds, how do you expect Asian countries, especially China, to react? Let's begin with um, maybe this time, Mike. Well, I think they'll react as they, they, they already have, which is you know, understandable. But they, they react, I think Beijing reacted quite angrily. So I think you're, you're saying if Macron stepped down or if Macron wasn't there, would NATO succeed in, in uh, extending its reach into Asia? Mm. Uh, I, I think the, the, the unequivocal answer is that they would not succeed. No, I think there will be a fierce backlash uh, and they would realize that it's you know, the sort of cost-benefit analysis that is, not, uh, is very, very negative. So no, I, I don't think they, they, they will. And I think they will perhaps come to their senses and realize that it, it's a North Atlantic thing. Uh, that was set up a long time ago. The world has changed, and then a complete rethink is needed. You know, complete um, open openness, open mindedness into how we go forward um, and post NATO world. So I, I don't think it will succeed, and I don't think they'll try anything like this again. Dr. Tsui, I think that uh, this issue is uh, related to uh, President Macron uh, deeply, but uh, it's not only related to uh, some person. Mm. As I understand, once the, uh, there are some change uh, in future for the French government, but I, I think this uh, tradition of uh, independent policy will keep uh, uh, continue. As we know, it's uh, already become the tradition of uh, France. Another, I think, the reason uh, for this um, uh, not so clear uh, perspective for so-called expansion of NATO in Asia is not only France, 
mentioned that more and more European countries, they need to make clear what's the situation, not only in Asia and also in Europe. I think for um, another 10 or more or longer time, the major issue or major uh, challenge for most of the European countries on security uh, uh, area is how to you know, reconstruct a kind of a uh, sustainable and uh, inclusive uh, security architecture. I think another reason is now NATO is trying to introduce some uh, concepts, uh, some ideas, some logic uh, to uh, Asia, especially this uh, so-called uh, collective uh, defense or collective security. Mm. But I don't think this logic uh, is in the interest of the most of uh, Asia countries. Uh, Japan uh, is not able to repre- represent Asia. And even for this uh, Northeast Asia, Japan is not a qualified representative. So I don't think that uh, this uh, relations between uh, NATO and Japan, once it gets uh, stronger and stronger, closer and closer, but I don't think it will become, a, uh, I mean, a fundamental or it will become a, a strong basis for any kind of a possible expansion of NATO into Asia. Mm. Asian countries' objection is one thing. Another thing is that uh, you know NATO is on this uh, consensus decision-making, which means um, if there is one country against the decision or, or plan, uh, it can be carried out. But can we count on it, uh, Harvey? Uh, well, we maybe can't count on the in NATO, I think we can continue to count on this uh, one uh, nation veto principle. It's very yeah. important. Um, although in the EU, uh, they're trying to change that policy with the same policy in the EU. But my, my message would be mm. that the NATO should be very careful what they wish for, because uh, if they do what they want to do and establish these offices and a beachhead in Asia, there might be uh, an equal uh, reaction from Asia and maybe Shanghai Cooperation Organization or some other uh, multilateral grouping in Asia may build a countervailing force. I don't know that that's necessarily a good sign or a good thing, but it could be a logical outcome of where NATO wants to go. Right. Maybe we can give it a shot. And with that, we come to the end of today's chat. Many thanks to Harvey Zoden, Senior Fellow at the Center for China and Globalization, Dr. Cui Hongjian, Head of European Studies Department, China Institute of International Studies, and Mike Baston, China Observer and Senior Lecturer at the University of Southampton in Britain, for sharing your insights with us. The show is available on all major podcast platforms. If you got anything to say about the topic or the show, feel free to tell us. Drop us an email at radio at cgtn.com. I'm Tu Yun. Thank you for being with us. We'll have more chat next week. Ever wondered what's actually going on in Africa through the perspective of an African? How are things really going between China and Africa? What's the narrative of this relationship? Well, get a perspective with China-Africa Talk. Hear from African diplomats, entrepreneurs, academics, Chinese natives, and more. Get an hour wavelength every week to find out what's real with China-Africa Talk. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. We'll see you there.